once you have that in mind, then it helps that second question not to be so self-centered. Because you realize that God is doing something very significant all over the world. He is reconciling people to himself. And instead of just making a plan of what I could do for God and then saying, God, would you bless it? Instead, saying, I see that God's work in the world is reconciling people to himself. He's doing that wherever, I'm, wherever you live, wherever you're from. And how can I begin to sense what he's doing? And then how can I join him in what he's doing? So that's a little bit of a, a refresher from last week. And uh, I think when I went home after, after speaking last week, I thought, you know, probably the thing that still might be uh, floating around in, in people's mind is, but, but how do I experience God? And I, I bet that that'll happen more than once through this series. How do I experience God? Give, give me more. Give me some more keys or understanding so I can, I can actually experience God. And so how do I allow God to work through me? How do I find out what God is already doing? I, I'm open to an assignment from God, but I haven't received one yet. I want to do these things but how? And uh, so I, I, what we're going to do to get things started off is we're going to read out of uh, Philippians chapter 3. So if, you, if, you've got, uh, if you've got your own Bible, you can read out of that. But also, we've got these great Bibles in the bench in front of you. And um, these Bibles are, um, they're gifts that haven't been given yet. We put them in front of them so people, if they don't have their own Bible, can take them home. So if you're here this morning and you don't have your own Bible at home, just take this as a gift from us and read it. That would be a gift to us if you'd read it. It'd be really cool. So uh, you can go to page uh, 952, 952, and you can find where we'll be reading some of what we'll be reading today. The main, the biggest chunk of what we'll read today is in, on page 952 in the blue uh, bench Bible there. 952. Okay, so look for a big number three at the bottom of the page, and then if you're looking up in the second column, you should see a tiny, tiny number four. Hopefully you can see it. Okay, it says, if, if someone, starting on the left side, if someone thinks, oh, sorry, someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Now, this is a guy named Paul writing. His name used to be Saul when he was in the business of killing Christians, but now that he's not in the business of killing Christians, now he's in the business of following Jesus, he's got a new name. He says, if someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And here's his list of reasons why he's, he thought he was such an awesome guy. He said, I was circumcised on the eighth day, like all good Jewish boys are, and I, uh, of the people of Israel, so he was a Jew, and of the tribe of Benjamin, obviously better than other tribes, or it seems to be, uh, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. Then that was a religious sect that really cared about following to the letter exactly what the law said. So he's very meticulous in how we follow God. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. Now that may sound confusing, but at that point, a lot of the very religious people felt that the church, people who followed Jesus, were actually like some sort of weird cult. And so they were trying to, people, you follow Jesus? Who? What? Well, we follow God, and so we're going to get rid of you guys because you're obviously, what you're doing is wrong. 
I know it sounds confusing, but you'd have to study church history a little bit more to, to get the full picture. But he says, I was persecuting the church again, in re- trying to be a good follower of God. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. So we had this great list. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. So something's really changed. What is more, I consider everything. Oh, this is a big statement. I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Whoa, that's quite a comparison. I've considered them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. So a significant change has happened in Paul's life. Such an amazing change. Here's a guy who was an enemy of God or an enemy of Jesus. And he went to being a follower. That's a massive change when that happens. We see that change today. Some people are just, I want nothing to do with God. And then you meet up with them later on in life and they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. What happened? What? Really? And you hear these incredible stories of how God intervened in their life and now they've gone from passionately against God to passionately for him. Or sometimes people are just indifferent about God. I don't really care about God or I'm not into that religious stuff or I don't have any time for that. And then you meet up with them later on in life and they're just like, you know, I I just can't get enough of what God's doing in my life. And you're like, what happened? This is amazing to hear these stories. And and Paul's story is an amazing story. I I like some of the statements. Let me just pull a few of the statements that he says in there. He says, he talks about the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Nothing is more valuable. Nothing surpasses the value of knowing Jesus. Nothing. That's a pretty bold statement. Nothing. There's some pretty awesome things in life that we experience. Paul would say, but nothing surpasses knowing Jesus. And then he goes on to say, my, my goal is to know him. I want to know Christ. That's my goal. Hey, there's a lot of goals you can have in life, aren't there? A lot of things you can live for. We say, well, this is my goal. I have this plan. Or this, is, this is, you know, my mission statement. He says, you know what? I, I just want to know Jesus Christ. That's, that's the surpassing goal of my life. And... Uh, And then he says this, forgetting what's behind and reaching forward to what is ahead. I really love this statement. Because so, time, so many times in life, we can really allow the past to dictate our present. We're still trying to fix it. We're still trying to make up for it. We're still trying to answer it in some way. I love that Paul, he says, you know what? Uh, since Jesus has come into my life, there's been such a radical change there that now... I'm forgetting what's behind. I'm not, I'm not focused on that. I'm not going back to, you know, count the scores of religious trophies I got when I was, thought I was all that. You know what? I'm just going forward to know Jesus and to, and to receive what he has for me in the future. I want to experience God. I think it would be okay to say that. I want to experience God and what he has for me in my future. That's it. It's number one in my life. That's the main thing. 
So how do I experience God? We're coming back to that. How do I allow God to work through me? How do I find out what God is already doing? I'm open to an assignment from God, but I haven't received one yet. I want to do these things, but how? I would tell you this morning, relationship is the key. Relationship with God is the key. Remember, the main thing that God is doing in the world today is he's reconciling people to himself. Now, being reconciled, like we, I think most people understand what the word means, reconciled, like being made right relationally with somebody, right? Um, but it doesn't just, I think sometimes we have a limited view of reconciliation, so we see it as being like, okay, um, I, I want to be right relationally, I want to be right with God. So that's a phrase people use, I want to be right with God. Or some people would say, I want to make peace with God. It's like, I sort of recognize that I've been somewhat antagonistic or indifferent or not recognizing God's rightful place in my life. And so I want to come to the place where I, um, I'm not that anymore. But God isn't just calling us to raise a white flag and surrender our lives to him and say, okay, you win, I'm not going to fight you anymore. God is calling for a whole big change that takes us from antagonism or indifference or ignorance about God all the way over, all the way over, all the way over, all the way over to engaging in a loving personal relationship with him. It's not just that we aren't enemies of God, but that we become family. Let me give you a couple of verses here that I found fascinating. Romans 8, 14 and 16 says this, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. And the spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live again in fear. Rather, the spirit, this is the spirit from God, the spirit you received brought your adoption, brought about your adoption to sonship, or sons and daughters, you could say. And by him, we cry, that spirit of God inside of us causes us to cry out something amazing. Abba, Father. Abba is like a very affectionate way of saying dad, daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. So God doesn't just want you to get to the point where you're, okay, I've made my peace with God. He wants you to go farther than that into becoming his son or his daughter and entering into a loving relationship with him. Let me give you a second one that I thought was amazing. John 15, 14 says, You're my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything I learned from my Father, I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. The key I wanted to draw your attention to there is, I no longer call you servants. Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. It's interesting. In these two passages, there's two words that are used to say, you know, A relationship with God is not just like, okay, God, you won the battle, now I'm going to serve you. Well, yes, God calls us to be his servants. But that's not all he calls us to be. He calls us to be family and he calls us to be friends. And you know what I really like about that? Is because sometimes, because I don't, don't, if it was just one of those, it might not be enough. Because, you know, sometimes family isn't friendly. I know none of you have experienced that. But sometimes that's true. 
And you know, friends, friends are awesome, but you know, they just aren't family. And so God says, you know what? This relationship, this loving relationship that I desire to have with you is not just making peace with God and that's okay and we're not fighting anymore. He goes, I want you to be my friend. And I want you to be my son or my daughter. I want you to be my family. So yes, everyone needs to make peace with God. But God's desire for reconciliation with you includes so much more than simply not being enemies. He invites us to be his friends and his family. And he wants to interact with you daily as his friend and family member. You see, we're we're talking, this whole series is about jumping into the activity God has for your life. But before you jump into the activity that God has for your life, we need to first make sure that you're just not going out on your own independently without God, because that's not the way that he's got it planned. So before we go any further, let's quickly, I want to just give us a quick refresher on who God is, okay, because that might be helpful. So just a few, these are three attributes of God, only three. There could, so much more. But just bring these up. Do you have that slide, Ashley? Okay, for the first thing is that something you need to know about God, he is love. God is love. And so it, because he is love, and because he loves you, his will is always best. How can you tell if someone loves you? They want your best. They want what's best for you. And often you can't, like when you're, especially when you're really young, you can't tell all that, right? Because you're like, why are you disciplining me? Because I love you. Nah, I don't know. You know, I'm sort of doubting it. But later on in life, you might come back to that and go, oh, I see that experience differently now. That actually was for my best. I thought I could play in traffic and be completely safe, but now I realize. So God is love. His will is also always best. Here's the second one. Let's go to the second one. God is all-knowing. These are just, I mean, I'm not telling you anything you probably don't know. When you think of what's God like, well, you probably knew these things already. So God is all-knowing, and if he's all-knowing, then that means his directions are always right. If you ask me for directions, like, how do you get somewhere? I'd be like, oh, yeah, go here, there. You know what? Sometimes my directions might not be totally 100% reliable because I might get something wrong. Not God. His directions for your life are always right. Third one. God is all-powerful. So he can enable you to accomplish his will. Now, sometimes I run run into these phases in my life where I'm really focused on these last two. I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to go back to my notes here, quit looking at the screen, it'll get me confused, but God is all-knowing, his directions are always right, and God is all-powerful, he enables you to accomplish his will. Is knowing that someone is super strong and super smart enough for you to trust them? Well, it could be. You want them to be strong and smart, don't you? You want them to be, you don't want someone who's feeble and incapable to really help you and doesn't know anything. So you want those attributes. But you know what? What if someone's super strong, super smart, but was evil? 
That wouldn't engender trust. You wouldn't go, oh, man, I'm just going to leave my kids with you. So it's absolutely essential. And, and, and I hope you'll see how this all comes together here for you in a few seconds. But it's absolutely essential that you be absolutely confident in the love that God has for you. If you're going to experience God, if you're going to do his will, if you're going to, if you're going to take on assignments that he gives you, you've got to have confidence that he loves you. That what he wants for you is best for you. If you don't have that confidence, you're going to come to those moments and you're going to balk. You're going to stall. You're going to run away. You're going to ignore. You're going to distance yourself. You're going to hide. You're going to do something else because you're not sure. Is he really for me? Does he really love me? See, your confidence in the love nature of God is crucial. And I found one way to help solidify that in my life is to keep focusing on what Jesus did for me when he gave up his life for me on the cross. This morning we did that. We, we focused on that. We, we, we took some time to remember that. This is the place where God clearly demonstrates his love for us once and for all. So when you get to that point in your life where you're like, I don't know what God is doing in my life. These circumstances don't make sense. You're feeling a lot like the child who's being disciplined, and maybe it's not you're being disciplined, but you feel that confusion. You're like, this can't be right. This can't be for my best. And then later on you come back and go, oh, I guess that was. You're, you're in, but in that moment, you're like, what is God doing in my life? If you can come back to the cross, if you can see clearly his love for you there, you can bring that confidence of his love for you into that present situation. How does that look? Well, often it happens through prayer, right? Often, I, I mean, I, I talk to God uh, just like I would talk to a person, hopefully, although it is a little bit monologuish. I'll admit it. But I fill in, I, 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 there's a few things that fill in the conversation. One is what I know from God's word. When I read the Bible, I, it, there's things in here that tell me about God. Tell me about his, his thoughts towards me. Tells me about his care for me. Tells me about his, his approach to me. Tells me about what he's doing in the world. Tells me all these things about God. So that helps me fill in the conversation. I know that when I come to God, I'm not just initiating a conversation with him. There's lots that he's already initiated that I'm responding to. So that helps me. The other thing is, too, that uh, I believe that God directs people. Oh, now I'm going to sound really crazy. I believe that God speaks to people today. Amen. Yeah. Wow. One amen for God speaks to people today. Say it again. Say it again. Oh, say it again. Okay. I believe that God speaks to people today. Oh, thank you. I need it. I need it. Where were you last week? Okay. That was awesome. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Now you throw me off. <laughs> no. I'll, I'll hold on. Let me, give you a, let me give you a progression here. Let me give you a progression here. Think this through. And, and this took me a while to get, so I, I mean, this might come to you later this afternoon. It's really being true. Knowing God leads to loving God, 
leads to trusting God leads to obeying God. First time I read it, I didn't get it. Then I read it again, and it helped me. Knowing God. So, so is it helpful you went to Sunday school and you learned all these things about God or you read the Bible and learned about God? Yeah, it's super helpful. Right? Super, super helpful. That's what actually we're, we're hoping is happening right at this very moment. That you're actually engaging some concept about God or you're, you're learning about God. That you're, you're, you're grabbing something intellectually. Okay? We're hoping that's happening right now. Okay? That you're, you're learning stuff about God. And as you learn stuff about God, then there's a moment where it, it becomes more personal. You say, really? God died for me? God loves me? God has a way for me to come into, rec- into a re- relationship with him. He, he wants to reconcile. He wants us to be friends and family. And then there's this moment where it translates from the head of intellectual, I understand these concepts, to the heart where you go, Oh, and love begins to reflect back to God. You're like, wow, and gratitude, and, and those things begin to go. So, so knowing God is the foundation for, or knowing about God is the foundation for, for loving God. So, wow, you did that for me. You did that for me. And then, you know what? If you, love, if you know someone loves you and they have your best interest, then you suddenly go, I can trust you. I can trust you. Like, you're a person I can trust. I can trust you. And because I can trust you now, what do you want me to do? I want to be at work for you, God. I want to do something for you. I want to respond. You've done so much for me. There's no way I can ever pay you back. It's not not like you did this much and I'll just make it even. There's no way that will ever happen. But I do want to respond. I want to be active for you. God, what do you want me to do? And so it leads, so you go from knowing God to responding out of your heart, loving God to Oh, I can trust him to trusting God and then obeying God. It's part of how we experience God in our lives, is going through those stages of, of realizing. But it starts, it starts with our confidence in the love nature of God. You know, that love relationship with God is something that God initiated. I want to be really clear about this. God's been pursuing you your whole life. He's been pursuing you your whole life. When you were a little kid and you had really great, sunny, wonderful days, God was there wanting to draw you to himself. And when you were a little kid and when you had terrible, horrible, no good, very bad days, You know what I'm talking about. God was there. Wanting to draw you to himself. Wanting to to reconcile you to him. And in your teen years, when it was awesome and exciting and you really were having a great time, God was there. Pursuing you. And in your teen years, when you were having angst and struggles and difficulties and bad hair days... God was there, drawing you to himself. And in your young adult years, in the bad times, the good times, God was calling you. And in your middle-aged years, when God, when, you, when, when things didn't go the way you, you went, your plan for life just sort of took a left turn. And God was calling you, he was drawing you, he was there. 
And when you're in your greatest joys or your deepest sores, God's there. God was there. He was always working in and around you, drawing you to himself. Some people, sometimes when they say, you know, well, I just decided to follow Jesus. And that's a good thing to say. I'm excited when I hear someone say that. But it doesn't tell the whole story, does it? Because God was the one who initiated the thing. God was the one who got the thing rolling. God is the one who calls us to himself. And so that puts us all in the place of being responders. God says, hey, like I like to say, he laid his card on the table first, right? He said, this is, this is who I am. This is my love for you. This is how I'm going to demonstrate it. This is your need. The sin in your life, the, the, the sin nature that causes you to, to go your own way and not my way. You have great need in your life for me to, to bring forgiveness to that to bring healing to that, also to give you my power so that you can overcome that. God was working long before we had any inclination to turn towards him. He was initiating this love relationship in our lives. And he's still doing that today. Let me read you Revelation 3.20. Even if you've come to that point where in your life we say, you know what, I've, I've received... I've responded to God's invitation to be reconciled to him. God still continues to initiate relationship. Listen to this. Revelation 3.20 says, here I am. I stand, this is, this is God. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So God paints this through through the revelation he gave to John in Revelation. He paints this intimate picture of, guess what? I'm still pursuing you. I'm still pursuing you. Like when I met my wife before she was my wife, I pursued her. I pursued her. I pursued her. And then I got married and I thought, boy, I got some other things on my list I got to get done, right? And so wise older men would come around me and say, You've got to keep pursuing your wife. Or bad things will happen to you, young man. (laughs) And I appreciated that advice. God, it doesn't come to this point where you say, okay, now I'm a follower of Jesus. Thank you. I'm in a new camp. Now I'm going to go cook up some plans I'm going to do for God. God's like, hey. No, no, the relationship is absolutely essential. See, some people think you work for God like you work for your boss, and that is not true. For example, this is how you work for your boss. You go into the office or the job site or wherever you work, and you go to the supervisor or the boss, and you say, okay, uh, it's Monday. What do we got on? And he's like, all right, I, got, I want you to do this, that, and the other thing, and this will probably take you X amount of time, minutes, hours, weeks, years. <laughs> It'll take you a long time. But when it's done, come back, check in with me, and we'll, we'll go further from there, right? So that's how you work for a boss, and you're like, okay, got it, thanks, boss. And, you know, you get out of their office, and get out of their space, stop wasting their time, and you get on to the job, right? You work independently, get the job done, come back to the boss, and he's like, okay, all right, you did this good, this not so good, whatever, here's the other assignment, let's go on. Okay, that's how you work for a boss. But how you work with God, because nobody ever really, truly works just 
for God, you work with God, is absolutely different. Because God has, and this is why, because God has things in store for you to do that you could never do independently. They're bigger things than what you can imagine. And so what God does is he says, in order for you to do things that you could never do independently, I'm going to set things up that all the work you do in relationship to me is in relationship to me. There's lots of different ways in the Bible where he, he says this. He says, you know, basically, uh, take, take my yoke upon you, which is an old-fashioned way of saying, take on a harness that allows us to work together. You know, you imagine two horses pulling a big cart together, and they have a harness that allows their energy to go, to be joined together. He says, let's do, let's work together. That's how God's inviting you into that. He's saying, I've got got things for you to do, but you can't, you hitch up to the harness and you pull, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to join you on the other side. Take my yoke upon me, take my harness upon me. Let's, Let's partner together. And then my power is going to infuse what you do and there'll be things you can do that you could never do. The other thing, thank you, the other thing is that how God directs us in how we do work is different. So a boss might say, yeah, um, yeah okay, I, you ever had like, if you've ever been like a hired man on a farm, you might be able to relate to this. I haven't been one. No one would ever have me as a hired man. That would be a disaster. <laughs> I'm just warning you, don't try to hire me. I know you really want to. Anyhow, so... Imagine the farmer saying to the hired man, saying, all right, first day on the job, I'm glad you showed up at the farmyard here. Now you're going to need to uh, go down the road and turn at the tree, and then you're going to go a few more, you're going to ways more, and then I want you to turn at the big rock, and then you'll see the red barn, and then uh, that, take a left, and uh, that's where you're going to find you know, the cultivator or whatever. So you get totally lost because you're not sure, is that a big tree or is that a big tree? I'm not saying farmers are bad at giving directions. What I'm just saying is, (laughs) I've never worked for them. I don't know. I'm just saying that that's how you work for a boss. You get given instructions, and hopefully you succeed, but you might not. You might come back shamefaced 15, 20 minutes later and go, I couldn't find the cultivator. Right? God is totally different. He's sort of like a farmer who says, I'll show you where the cultivator is. Get in. You can drive. So you get in an old truck, and he goes, Drive down the road and he says, turn here at the big tree. Oh, see that, the rock over there? Turn here. That's a big barn. Okay, oh, there's the cultivator. Oh. Now the thing about it is you had no map in your mind when you got on that, in on that ride. But you didn't need a map. You didn't need it all laid out in front of you because the farmer was with you. Because of relationship with him, because he was in close proximity, because he's right there. You didn't need to know the whole thing. Now, farmers like to delegate more than that, but I understand that that's efficient and stuff like that. But when you work with God, and because he's omnipresent, unlike farmers who have to be in one place only, he wants to work with you in every step of the way. You know what he said to Abraham? I'll just tell you the story real quick, because we're getting close to our time. You know what he said to Abraham? He says, I'm going to take you to a country that you, you've never been to before. I want you to leave Ur of the Chaldees, and I want you to go to a country that you've never been there before. And then in the Bible, we don't read that he said, 
go such and such a distance till you get to the big tree. No, all we get is that Abraham had to leave town. Now imagine this. What does it take to what does it take to leave town and not know where you're going? I ran into a, you, you say this is stuff that happens in the Bible doesn't happen in real life. That's not true. I ran into a couple just uh, a month and a half ago. I was in their home in Athabasca, Alberta. They told me an incredible Abraham-like story. This was their story. Um, they, they were working in a certain uh, um, community in Saskatchewan, and uh, they had roles that they played in their local church and they, uh, leadership roles and stuff like that. And they were in their church, and the one day, the husband comes home, and, and or the wife comes home, I don't know how they met up, but they, they met up and they... they started talking and they said, okay, I was praying and I really had this strong sense that we're supposed to get out of town. Like quit our jobs and, and get out of town. And the other, and now, okay, like my wife said that to me, I'd be like, well, I'm going to wait for some confirmation on that. We're, I don't think we're going to just change everything. But here's the crazy thing. The wife was like, same with me. I was praying and had that same sense that we were just supposed to get out of town. Quit our jobs and get out of town. Woo! Now, how much trust in God do you have to have to follow those instructions? If you didn't think God loved you and had your best in mind and you didn't have a bit of a sense of a track record of knowing his voice, you wouldn't do it. But they did. I mean, this couple's the real deal. They really are followers of Jesus, really experiencing God. And so what they, what, what they said, okay. So they, they quit their jobs, and, and, the, and the, even their leadership roles at their local church, people were like, hey, so what's the next step? What are you guys doing next? And we go, we don't know. Really? That doesn't sound too smart. Well, we really have a strong sense that God wants us to do this, and we have no idea what's next, but we trust him. After they did that, they got a phone call from a little town in Alberta who's looking for a pastor for the church. And they say, uh, you know, we're a church, we've gone through a struggle, and now we're really struggling, and we need some really dependable leadership, you know, we need some people who can really hear from God to lead our church. Would you come? And they prayed about it, and they really had a sense from God that, yeah, this is what they were supposed to do. And so they went. Now, the interesting thing about the story is when I'm sitting in their home in this little town in Alberta and, and hearing their story, I know some of the rest of the story. I know that after they left, everything went crazy in the town that they left. All sorts of conflict broke out, all sorts of slander and gossip broke out, all sorts of people's relationships got ruined and destroyed and all those things and what happened as a result of the fact that they left when they left was they were sort of unscathed from all that so that's one thing God's protection but the other thing I really believe God had an incredible plan for them because what happened is they went to this struggling little church and started helping them rebuild their lives but then because they were sort of unscathed by all the conflict and gossip and slander that had happened in the community they came from they were able to come back and visit 
and come back to a lot of hurting people and, and, and gather them around. And, and now people didn't think you're tainted by the scandal or you picked a side or anything. They just came back to town and they just started gathering people together and started to pray for them and help them and heal and, and really encourage them. So God actually took them out in time so they wouldn't be tainted so they could visit and come back and bless people as well as adding the blessing to this other town over here. Do you think that God could ever speak to you like that and that you could respond? This is why we have seven weeks. This is why we have seven weeks. Because every week you might come here and go, I don't know. That's a wonderful preacher story and preachers have amazing experiences and believe me, that's, we're pretty run-of-the-mill, ordinary. But... God wants you to experience a loving, personal, real relationship with him. And it's not just like a frill. Like, oh, that's a nice bonus of being a Christian, that you also have this. No, it's an essential element if you're going to experience God. You are, you're, if you're not in, a, in a, a, a loving relationship with God, when God brings assignments your way, that are God-sized, that are bigger than you, you will not take them if that love relationship with him is not firmly established in your heart because you won't trust. You need to know, know, know at the core of your being that he loves you. You need to know, know, know that he loves you. Today, I'm, my job is here to tell you that he loves you. <laughs> that he really, really loves you. That he's pursuing you. Even as we read in Revelation 3.20, that he's standing at the door and he's knocking and saying, hey, I want to have that kind of intimate relationship with you. Will you open the door so I can come in? Your lifetime on earth provides you the opportunity to become acquainted with God and to choose to enter into a relationship with him. Let me close with this. This week, my wife and I took a class. Because um, we're foster parents, we took a, a foster parenting class at social services. And uh, they taught, they're just trying to equip us to be good parents, which is sort of cool because we have a parenting class going on here at Hillcrest with Brian Heaney every, like, 9.30 in the morning, and uh, lots of people are taking that in. So I thought this was really neat. Like, here we're going to a parenting class, and yet I know there's another parenting class happening here, and so great. Anyhow, so I'm in the parenting class, and just this moment happens, and we're talking about attachment disorder. So basically, um, at every stage in your life, there's developmental goals that you have to achieve, right? So, um, and you don't always have to achieve them at the same time as other people, but it's, you know, there's important things, right? So, you know, you think of the normal ones like walking or talking or being able to feed yourself, you know, things that help you to live an independent life. Babies have a very important developmental goal that they are, need to achieve in the very you know, first months and years of life. And it's the goal of attachment. And what attachment is, is basically, um, it's a baby, by their early interactions with the world, think of a baby when they're you know, still closed eyes all the time and all they do is cry. They're like little scientists. You know, they're like, wah. 
Hmm, no response. <laughs> wow! <laughs> um, greater response. <laughs> They're figuring out how their world works, and they're asking questions about their world. They're saying, um, am I alone? Am I in a world that's a cruel place? What happens when I cry out? The answer comes in the form of a loving, hopefully, the answer comes in the form of a loving response from a caregiver. They get picked up or cuddled or fed or changed or whatever. And the message is given, I notice you. I'm here for you. I'll help you. I love you. So then the baby scientist concludes their experiment and says, I'm loved. My tears are not unnoticed. I can trust that my needs will be met. And because of this relationship, I am safe in the world. It's the same for people when it comes to God. Jesus compared becoming a follower of his to being, to being born. So being born again. Or spiritually born. And it's implied that this is something that doesn't just happen when you're a baby, but it can happen when you're a child or a teenager or a young adult, middle age or later years. It can happen throughout your life. And the key in that is that a baby's not just meant to be born and abandoned, but a baby is meant to be born and then enter into this relationship that helps them grow in trust. So what we do in foster parenting is if something's sort of not right in the environment that helps them develop that attachment, develop that ability to trust and to feel safe in the world, then there are important people who come into that scenario and say, we need to put this baby in a scenario where they can develop that. Sometimes it's not a baby, sometimes it's a toddler, or it's a child, or a teenager. And they come and something didn't, the developmental need of attachment didn't happen like it maybe should have happened. And so then it's a, it's a great challenge for the new ones who are in that role of reparenting and helping to develop attachment. And I often wonder in our own spiritual lives if this happens where maybe we've come to be making peace with God or sort of reconciling with God, but we've never entered into that love relationship with God in a deep way. We never really, 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 really get that he loves us. And because we don't ever get to that point where we really understand that he loves us and, the, and in the full force and the full, the full um, you know, incredibleness of his love for us, we don't trust him and because we don't trust him, then we don't enter into experiencing the things that he has laid out for our lives. So today, you might be there and you say, oh, okay, maybe there's some spiritual attachment disorder in my life. Like, I've been okay with serving God, 
I'm even okay with worshiping God. But loving God is not second nature. There's lots of reasons why that can be, and I won't get into them today. But you say, you know what? I really want to attach to God. I really want to be able to trust God. But I realize now that the first step for me is to respond with, with love towards God. And you know what? This isn't self-generated. This is something we cry out to God to do. It's a work of God in our lives. And so what we do is we say to God, God, I can't do this on my own. I can't just work up love. God, will you see me in the condition that I'm in? And will you reparent me? Will you parent me into this loving relationship that you've always designed for me to have? We stand together. We're going to close. Worship team, I'm going to invite you back. Prayer team, would you come forward? This morning, you might just be feeling, okay, you just put your finger on my life. If that's true, uh, well, it's probably not actually true. It's probably the Holy Spirit's put his finger on your life. If that's true. Remember, God is always working. God is always working around you. So if you're feeling that this morning, you're saying, okay, that sort of hit close to home. I, I, that really resonated with me, that sense of, of needing to be able to trust God, to, to walk in that love relationship every day with God. Uh, this morning, we'd love to pray with you. Okay, we've got prayer teams. They're just sort of gathering here and there, and I, there's some pastors who are available as well. We'd love to take some time to chat with you and pray with you this morning about that very area of being able to not just serve God, not just worship God, but to actually love God and to engage in that loving relationship with him. So let me just, I'm going to close this in prayer, but then, again, for those of you who are visiting uh, with us this morning, I'll just make it very clear. We usually end in a time of worship, and then we have time for people to pray at the front. You can come and pray and kneel on your own if you want. If you want to pray with somebody, again, there's a couple here on either side, and then pastors are available, and there's other people available as well. So we'd love to pray with you about anything, even if it wasn't the topic of the morning. Okay, But that's how we're going to close our time together, is making this a prayerful place, and then the entryway can be a visiting place. Okay, So we, we'll, this is a place for, you know, just dedicated to allowing God to do what he wants to do in our lives. And then out there is a great place to visit and have a great time. So we'll just have both those spaces here this morning. Okay. So let me just pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for every person who's come this morning. What an incredible uh, thing to be together in your presence, just realizing that uh, your love for us is beaming at us right now, full force. There's no spiritual cloud that can block it. It's just whether or not we're receptive to it or not. So God, right now, in the quietness of this moment, we just say, God, help my heart to open to you. If my heart has been closed, I pray it would just open to receive what you want to pour in. God, there's aches inside of our hearts. There's parenting aches. There's history aches. There's aches from our lives where we, we got wounded on the inside and, 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 and it, it hurt our ability to trust. And now... We're bringing that into our relationship with you, and we don't want to do that. We want to be able to trust you uh, for who you are, to believe you 
that you have our best at heart. And so I pray that you would do a miracle inside of our hearts, that we'd be able to trust you, we'd be able to respond in love to you, and we'd be able to uh, begin the experience of walking with you each day, of working with you each day, of experiencing you uh, pouring your power through our lives. And we ask that in your name.